the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at www.stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. Today's episode is from the service for January 8, 2023, Baptism of the Lord Sunday. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, our scripture lesson for tonight comes from the... Um, <laughs> Third chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Baptism is something that we celebrate every year at this time, and as I said, we are called to remember our baptisms. It's a curious injunction, given that most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, but a good number of us were probably baptized as we little infants who lack any kind of memory of having been baptized. I have a certificate that tells me I was baptized. I don't remember it. I was six months old. It was a January, probably this very Sunday in uh, 1969 in Buffalo, New York, and I don't remember a thing. And yet we are told to remember our baptism. Remembrance is one of those topics that Christians often misunderstand, not because we don't uh, understand basic English or anything like that, but because the words often evoke a different kind of understanding rooted in a Jewish idea that we don't employ as much. See, remembrance in the Jewish context is not about intellectual recall. It's not about, oh yes, I remember those things happening. It doesn't have much to do with actual cognition. It has everything to do with remembrance in a physical sense. To this day, when Jews celebrate the Passover, they do so in a spirit of remembrance. When the four questions are asked in the Passover Seder, the answer to one of them in particular is, this is what I, what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the house, out of the land of Egypt. 
That is, the speaker puts himself into the story. The speaker claims the history happening thousands of years ago by reenacting that history, by, in effect, reliving that history. This is something we should know when Jesus says in the institution of the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. We're still told to do that. None of us met Jesus. We don't remember him that way. We remember by reenacting, by reliving, by placing ourselves once again into that history. And so if we're going to remember our baptism, it's helpful for us to look back at Jesus's own baptism and to remember that baptism. It's an interesting story. It's Matthew's version is based largely on Mark's version. There's a couple of edits that Matthew makes in Mark's version, largely by way of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a little more subservient in this version than in Mark's version, where he pays almost no attention to Jesus whatsoever. But the basic story is the same. Jesus comes to John in the Jordan to be baptized. One of the many issues that Christians have wrestled with over the centuries is, well, what was the nature of this baptism? What, what kind of baptism did the early church provide? And this is an issue it's not without consequence. I mean, we have whole denominations that split off because they disagreed with how baptism was meant to be done. Was it meant to be sprinkled, poured, dumped, or dunked into the water? Was it meant to be for adults, people who could understand what was happening, or, or for little children? These were issues that divided the church and still do. But here we see Jesus, as an adult, likely coming to get dunked in the river. Now, there are other instances in Acts where people are baptized nowhere near a river, and so perhaps baptism took a different form. And in other instances in the book of Acts, for example, we are told that an entire household is baptized, which also suggests children. So how the baptism worked is still relatively unclear, but we know one thing. We know that Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized by John. All four Gospels agree on this. It's part of the sort of the, the taken-for-granted facts about Jesus that we can assert with some degree of certainty. But what's interesting is less the mechanics of the baptism and more how the story frames that baptism. See, we get hung up on the details, right? And if you were to go to the Holy Land today, you could choose between one of two spots that Jesus was baptized in, because there's the traditional spot, and then there's the spot that other people think, well, this is probably more likely. So either spot will happily take your tourist dollars as you go there to see the site of Jesus' baptism. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not to say, how do we get baptized like Jesus? Let us all go to the Holy Land and find the exact place. I had a professor in seminary who used to scoff at people who would come back from Israel and Palestine with bottles of, holy, of water from the Jordan. And he would say, given the laws of thermodynamics and uh, the water cycle and evaporation, there's as much water in the Potomac that Jesus touched as there is in the Jordan today. 
So it's not about the details of the story, the mechanics of the baptism. It's about its cosmic significance. Now, one of the things that is interesting to me about this story is how it describes what happens to Jesus after the baptism. So we are told that Jesus, after he'd been baptized, he comes up from the water and suddenly the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. In that story, there's only one small difference from the way Mark tells it, which instead of this is my son, it says you are my son. So in Mark, it's an even more personal, intimate message for Jesus himself. But here we have this scene. The heavens are split open. The spirit descends like a dove and a voice calls out. And if we are paying attention, we remember that there is another text in which water, spirit, and voice all operate. And that text is the first chapter of the book of Genesis, in which we read that the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, over the infinitely deep abyss of water that made up the primordial creation, and that in that watery abyss, the Spirit of God hovered as God spoke a word, let there be light. And in that action of spirit and water and word came forth the world. So what Mark and Matthew are telling us by including these details of Jesus seeing the heavens split open, of seeing the spirit descend and of hearing a voice is that this moment marks a new creation. It marks a a new order for the world being established. This is not simply some ritual that Jesus went through. This marks the beginning of something new. That, I think, is what we are called to remember. We are called to remember that we are made new and given the opportunity to be made new every day. I mean, we could look at this lection as being the logical choice to start January with, because we just read the Christmas stories, and this is pretty much the next one in most of the Gospels. But I don't think that we get the story at the beginning of a new year completely without thought to what that means for us. There's a a recent book by Daniel Pink called When, and it's it's all about the science of timing. It's really interesting because it talks about how some people are good in the morning. These are the larks. And then there are some people who are good at night. And those are the owls. And the larks like to get up early and are super productive before the owls have even gotten up and brushed their teeth. 
And he talks about how there are certain tricks that we can do on ourselves with our timing and our sense of time to be more adjusted in the world. So he says, you know, if you're a lark, then do all your heavy lifting in the morning and do all your rote work in the afternoon. And if you're an owl, flip it. Do all the spreadsheet stuff in the morning and then in the afternoon, that's when you're creative. And he talks further and says, and if you're going to lose weight, start on the first day of the month. Because there's something in our psychology that sees the beginning of things as real opportunities for new life, for new senses of self, for new hobbies, new disciplines, whatever it is, staying, I'm going to start on January 1st or February 1st or March 1st or the first day of Lent or the first day of Advent or whatever, that first day in our mind creates a sense of newness, of difference. And so I think we here are receiving this word on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, the first Sunday often of the new year as a way of priming us to say all of the things that we hoped for at Christmas, all of the things that we said we were waiting for, that transformation of the world that we were looking for, those proclamations of Isaiah, those beautiful oracles about peace and about justice and transforming the world. Now is the time to change our lives to actually do that. Now, now that the, the 12 days are over, now that all the wassail is drunk, now that all the fudge if mercifully is gone, we can now recommit ourselves to living a life that is transformed, we can dive right into those waters and be recreated. That's kind of what Wesley meant when he talked about the rebirth. John Wesley believed that the grace of God invited us into relationship, pardoned us of all our sin, and made us new that we were regenerated, if you want to use his term, some would say reborn, that we were reborn in this spirit, in this grace. And then that propelled us, that made us holier, that sanctified us, that made us more able to live out lives of personal and social holiness, that made us more able to commit ourselves to acts of mercy, acts of justice, acts of transformation of ourselves and the world to participate in the creation and the new creation of the world begun by that Jordanian river. That's how we remember our baptism, is we remember what it means what it meant for Jesus to have been baptized, what it means for the world for Jesus to have been baptized, and what it means for us to have been baptized and claimed as one of Jesus's disciples, as one of Jesus's flock. If we remember that, if we dive on into those waters, then we participate in the creation and the recreation of the very world itself.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.